I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and this is Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Obsessions, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. And we have a guest here who looks and sounds vaguely familiar to me. <laughs> and he's a producer, director, and whatever the hell you do behind this. Mostly sit around and drink. Yeah. <laughs> a comedy writer, an actor, Which a shows like man. Blossom, uh, Grace Under Fire, Roseanne. And- till, till Death. Till death, little till death, little Tom Arnold. Yes, yes. Tom Arnold. <laughs> yes, less than perfect. A show I liked. That was a good show. And yeah. and someone who uh, I remember since our days going to catch a rising star every night. Oh yeah, when you were just a young stripling lad. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what year are we talking about, guys? I think 1980-ish, somewhere, somewhere in there, maybe 79, 80, 81. Yeah, and I had already been going there a long time before, so it's right. Yeah, and yeah, Adrian actually brought me in. Adrian Tolsh, yeah, the late Adrian Tolsh, yes, funny and, lady, way great, way older than we ever thought. Adrian Tolsh. <laughs> <laughs> hey Gilbert, do you think we should tell people who you're interviewing? Oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Frank. <laughs> well, I'm so world renowned that it's very rarely necessary. <laughs> Slight, <laughs> slight. Ladies and gentlemen, J.J. Wall. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, please. Welcome, J.J. Thank you. Now, I remember one time being out in L.A., and you and your wife, Marilyn, were going to be going out of town, and you said <laughs> you could stay at our apartment. Yes. And uh, Which had a just, beautiful view of all of Los Angeles. Yes, and and you said you just uh, you know just feed the cat, change the litter, keep taking the mail, pile it neatly by the door, and and water the plants. Pretty much, and, yeah. yeah. And then you came home. Yes. Yeah, and, and there was a bottle of Tide in the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> All of the shades in this beautiful view apartment were drawn tight shut. Of course, the plants were dead. And I believe the cat was half dead. Did you <laughs> not feed the cat, the cat and change the litter? <laughs> well, in 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 all so fair- it worked out. Yeah, in all fairness, if you leave if you leave tied out, it could turn sour. Yes. So I know that you were trying to preserve it. <laughs> did you do Did you do your socks and underwear in JJ's sink? I I hesitate to. I, I, yes. Yeah, that's why the tide was, he was oh, washing yeah, undergarments right. you know in your what? sink, JJ. I didn't realize until I saw that right. piece of shit movie that that was actually what must have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Were you jerking off children or sharks? I, I keep mixing that up in the movie. Oh, it wasn't you. It was a French guy in a white robe. Yeah, you, you just saw some weird movie, you said. <laughs> yes, that's right. And people look vaguely familiar in it. And what was what was this movie with the French guy? I think it was called Gilbert. Oh. <laughs> and he, he either masturbated children or sharks. I never quite figured that out. He always wore a white robe. 
A stolen white robe. A stolen white robe with a W on it. Mm-hmm. I assume that was for whacking off or something. Yeah, <laughs> now, but I did watch that today. Now, I, I, I don't know if you'd want to admit to this on the air, <laughs> but you worked for two, and we could cut this out if you don't. Uh oh. We worked. You worked for two behind the scenes in two shows. Um, uh, Grace Under Fire. Right. With uh, Brett Butler. Brett Butler, yes. And, of course, Roseanne with Roseanne. Well, I didn't I didn't work on Roseanne. She thought I worked on Roseanne. Roseanne thought I worked on her. Yeah. She would, cause she would come out of her offices periodically and yell at me and then say, oh, you're not one of mine. <laughs> she would storm back into hilarious. It was. But uh, then I also then worked for Tom Arnold. Do you remember when you were on Tom Arnold? I should say, uh, do you yes. remember yes, Tom, Ar- Tom Arnold, first of all? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you Tom asked Arnold. me to come on the Tom Arnold show. And remember, he and I almost had the physical, actual confrontation. Oh, tell us one, about this. one of the this. most frightening, ex- frightening experiences in my life because I couldn't stop my feet from moving forward. And I was going at him. Yeah. <laughs> he was complaining about some stupid joke or whatever it was. And you were there just kind of like, oh, <laughs> this should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't think to break it up, Gil? No. Yeah. Be no. a peacemaker? Yeah, he didn't yeah. step in. <laughs> yeah, I was going to do my kickboxing. and Yes. <laughs> and and um, I now, now, I think it was said that there was a trifecta if you worked behind the scenes. If it, Well, also then Sybil Shepard would have been included. There, uh, there were four Carsey Werner shows that were right. all pretty difficult. And well, it was Grace Under Fire, but it started with uh, Home Improvement. That's that's where it all started. Really, Home Improvement, then Grace Under Fire, then uh, Sybil, and Home Improvement. They fired uh, Matt Williams, I think was his last mm-hmm. name. That's right. Who was the creator of the show? Yep. And uh, then you know things kind of changed from that point on. They used to call those shows, if I have this right, writer eaters, because yeah, they would, and, and they would eat writers alive. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were mean to writers. Yeah, general. And that was the the, the, yeah. the actors, not necessarily the studio. The studio was okay. right, yeah, except I, they allowed I, that behavior. I know Chuck Lorre had his also had his his issues with with Brett yes. Butler and and uh, yes, and Sib- I, I and came Sybil. on second year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went from Brett Butler to Sib- he went from Roseanne to Brett Butler to Sybil. To Sybil. So he did have the trifecta. Wow. So he was he was like a war hero. Combat pay in his way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. In his way. And what were some of the things that they would do that would make life so difficult? Spit on scripts and throw them in the garbage. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> that was one thing. Um, but I and I oh oh Brett used to love to do Corky from from I think it was called Life Goes On. Oh yeah. Down syndrome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she used to imitate him and say, What kind of script is this? This is shit. So there were variation. It always ended up with the script being thrown in the garbage. That's like Gleason level stuff, like as far as writer abuse goes. Well, Gleason, I remember a friend of mine worked on Gleason, and he said at one point Gleason turned to Sammy Spear, who was his musical director Mm -hmm. for eons, Mm -hmm. and said, Sammy, the music's no good. It's never been any good. (laughs) Oh my God. At that point, I think Sammy Spear had worked for him for 30 years. And and he used to just I I heard also from the same guy that um, 
Gleason would pick up the script and just like just drop the pages in yep. the garbage next to yes. the desk. One page at a time. Yeah. 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 I, guess, I guess in later years, just as life speeded up, I guess the sitcom stars decided they'd just throw the whole script away yeah. and go through it one page at a time. <laughs> I heard, I hope it's true, but but I feel for the writers, uh, that Gleason would throw their paychecks in the swimming pool and say, dive for them, boys. I heard that was hope. Oh, Actually, was it Hope? Bob, Bob oh. Hope was a notorious genius. I'm not sure that story is is to his, but I mean, I remember one very funny writer story about Bob Hope. And Bob Hope used to have his golf balls all around the lobby of his house. And he used to make the, the writers come over there to get paid. And he would toss the checks off of his balcony to them. <laughs> in, interior <laughs> Jesus balcony. Christ. And this one guy came in with his name on a golf ball and planted the golf ball in one of Bob's baskets of golf balls. And then on his way out, after he'd scrambled for his check, he reached in and he picked up a golf ball. And Hope said, uh, what are you doing stealing my golf ball? And the guy said, no, 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 this one is mine. Said, no, it can't be yours. Those are my golf balls. And he said, well, it's got my name on it. <laughs> Hope completely freaked out. Wow. <laughs> Had no and, idea what to do. And I think. Oh, well, enjoy the golf ball then. And I think <laughs> you're the one that told me the story that Hope, uh, one time, like the writers would have to be with, you know, on call 24 hours. Yes, yes. He could call them 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And they'd... That's and, right. And one time there was a writer in bed with his wife about to go to sleep. Yeah. And could you tell that story? She, yeah. Uh, Hope called up because he wanted to talk to the guy, and she answered the phone, and the guy was like, no, don't tell him I'm here, don't tell him I'm here. And uh, Hope finally said, well, where is he? And she said, well, he said he was with you. And Hope said, oh, yeah, there he is right now. Sorry to bother you. <laughs> so, oh, that's wonderful. So that tells you right there how many times Bob Hope fucked around on Dolores. St. Charles Borromeo, which is a massive Catholic church, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, is called the church that pussy built because every time Bob Hope <laughs> fucked around on Dolores, he had to give a donation to the church. <laughs> Fantastic. This is gold. Now, I've heard that. I obviously wasn't there personally for that, but I've heard it from enough people I kind of believe. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. And now back to the show. Wait, do you know Gene Parrott? Do you know any of any of Hope's writers, uh, JJ? Uh, I may have met them because I belong to the same golf club right. as him for a little while, but I, I can't say. Actually. We got to get a Hope writer on here and said and uh, and try to verify and verify. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I heard them. What I heard these stories generally from longtime Tonight Show writers and mm -hmm. those kind of writers, the variety writers. Mm -hmm. So that's why I tend to believe them. Plus, I like the stories, so <laughs> I'm going to believe them anyway. <laughs> since we're talking about when you guys met back in the days and in, in the improv days, I want to ask you a little bit about your act, J.J. Houston. And by, mm. by the way, your Cars, one of your Carson shows is on YouTube. I watched it today. Do you know that? Oh, gosh. Well, you, you were on with I, Lee Volman. Oh, that might have been my first one. I think it was your second one. I think the first oh, okay. one was Chuck second was one Charles Grodin. But I'm uh, yes, you, you may be right. You used to do a bit where you would take strange suggestions, you would take unrelated suggestions from the audience, and turn yeah, that it was my turn it into a song. That was your closer. Yeah, my closer. And it could be a, a Motown opera or a blues song or a country song, and it was kind of half memory trick and half song because I I think the maximum number of suggestions I ever took was seventeen, and I I remembered them and managed to. But it was a great closer. It's impressive. It I, 
Yeah, I always say I was a much better live act than I was ever a TV act. I did well enough on TV, but do you remember this, Gil? Do you remember I him do. doing this? I do. That was the ending. Yeah, that's right. You, you'd that's right. Pick out a bunch of words from the audience, and you'd make it into an entire song with those words. Right, right. And when it worked, it was really, really fun. Of course, when it didn't work, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> And to show how, uh, how like, psychotically um, secretive I mm-hmm. am, uh, one time after I've known you for, like, God knows a, how many— A long time, yes. And had pretended to be my good friend for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and so you called the house. That's right. Yeah. And Dara picked up. And she said, I think it's finally time. I, and I kind of knew a little while before that because your friendship with my daughter, with Daisy, <laughs> who you never said anything inappropriate to. <laughs> I'm sure. I'll get, I'll get to that I'm in a minute. I'm absolutely sure that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dara finally said, uh, JJ, do you know who this is? And we, that's how we met. You never, you actually never told me. Yeah. Uh, Dara just kind of broke the silence. And like I said, I had a little, little suspicion. My daughter, the classical pianist, by the way, when she would excuse herself from our dinner table after we fed Gilbert for free for the seventh uh-huh. time. <laughs> I know it well. She, yes, she would be going off to practice her classical piano, and he would say, you know what happens to girls that practice piano? They become junkie dyke prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. How old was she at this point? Six, seven, eight. <laughs> nice. nice. I mean, he said it for years, but probably started around that age. <laughs> I remember you one time saying to me, we were talking on the phone, you said, so you, you're coming out to L.A. this week. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, how'd you know? And, and you said, well, you were talking to my daughter and in between calling her a big dyke, you, you said you'll be in L.A. and you'll stop. That's all. what I found. <laughs> <laughs> I assume your daughter has grown up well-adjusted in spite of this. She actually has. I don't know how she ever dealt with him as a child, but she somehow did. Good for her. It's the only faith I have that his children will end up okay. There's there's no chance of that. Well, that and Dara. Yeah, they got a 50-50 shot. Tell us about those Carson shows, JJ. That was a big deal for you at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, if nothing else, it doubled or tripled your pay, so that Mm -hmm. part was good on the road. Uh, The first one I thought was was good, and I, I had an ad lib in the middle of it, which was a lot of fun. And the second one I thought was better. I never did get called over the couch, which was a bit of a disappointment. But uh, I, yeah, it was it was fun. And but I, it was still a, a you know a, a feather in your cap to be called back a second time. Oh, without question. And I got one of those. You know, hey, he gave me the yeah. okay sign. Saw it today. And stuff. It's great. Yeah. And I I also remember that the two of us and your wife were uh, picked out to do these comedy Miller beer commercials. That's right. That's right. And we, we came out here together, remember? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles, I mean, I should say. Yeah, we flew out together. And, um, yeah, I remember you played like a bartender in the yeah. commercial. Uh, uh, you ain't going to see no Ruskies drink or make beer like that, I think was the line. And literally that week, the Russians shot down KAL Korean Airlines 007 or whatever the number of the flight was. 
And they, they yanked the commercial off the air so quickly. Oh, man. My head was probably spinning on air. And, and that was another one that I thought was kind of, oh, boy, this is a big break. Oh, yeah. I, do. I remember, what's his name? The guy with the bullhorn, Glenn Super. Oh, Glenn oh, yes. Super. Yeah, he did that. Mr. Uh, bullhorn. Campaign. Yes. <laughs> and then I remember my commercial never made it to the air because I improvised two beer bottles talking to each other. And, and they fucked. And the, the head of the agency said that they felt that one of the beer bottles seemed gay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Unbelievable. We can't do that. Which almost tells you automatically that the head of the agency was gay. Oh, yes. <laughs> almost almost by definition. You remember Quisp and Quake? Do you remember the cereals, oh, the breakfast yeah, cereals? Yes, sure. it was like sure. Jerry Lewis imitator Doing was Quisp. Quisp yeah. And a John Wayne imitator was Quake. I knew I knew a guy named Al Kilgore who was an art and illustrator who designed those characters. And and they thought, the, the, uh, the sponsor thought that the design of Quake, that he was too effeminate. <laughs> and that was a minor. He got a minor helmet. And they, they, they scrapped him. They scrapped the original art, and they redrew him. They redesigned him, and he came back as a gaucho. He came oh, back as yeah, because he was too gay. <laughs> a gay, a, a too effeminate serial mascot. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Before. Yeah, it's a fun story. <laughs> how did you? Uh, how did you make the transition from from doing stand up to to getting into to half hours as a warm up comic? Was- it was a couple of different ways. Yes, warm-up comic was definitely one. At one point, I was the king of the warm-ups out here, and that, that taught me never to want to be king of a country that I didn't want to live it's in. It's the toughest job in, in show oh, business. Yeah. Very difficult. Being a warm-up and, comic. And wonderful. I mean, I got to know all the people at Cheers and all the people at Newhart, and it was, it was great that way, but it was really, you know, you're, doing, you're basically doing some form of stand-up for four hours, except for somebody else, not, not for your- Right, you're and not, they haven't really come to see you. Right, right, right. Right. And then I was also, you know, a couple of them to give me a job doing studio warm-ups would give me a script assignment or a part or whatever. And I always kind of said to my wife that, you know, well, at one point or another, one of these three things will pull me further. And, and uh, the writing, the TV writing started and producing. And, and also my daughter was born around then, so I wanted to kind of right. stay off the road a little bit more. Right. So that that's basically it. I kind of stumbled into it. I, I don't think Stand-ups, I think, are among the few breeds that actually do plan on something. I think, by and large, most of us kind of stumble through and wind up someplace one day. Well, know? I know a lot of stand-ups who became half-hour writers. So one, our mutual yes. friend, Tom Hertz. I, Tom is a good friend. Yeah, yeah. for one. Uh, um, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think there was an era. I think the 80s and ni- more than 90s, a lot, they drew a lot of stand-ups. I think Roseanne started that, you know, Tim Allen, whatever he said about it sure. before. Basically, it was all that trend. So there, and Seinfeld, obviously. But yes. There were there were stand-ups heading shows, so it made sense that they hired stand-ups to write them too. I think David Feldman was a writer on Roseanne. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And and it's I always uh, it's always funny when I watch the closing credits of a sitcom, and I'll go, oh, I remember him. <laughs> And it'll be all these different comics. Oh, I yeah. yeah. From the oh, well, you'd see like Billy Grunfest's name would show oh, up yes. on, uh, right. on, on Mad right. About You yeah. or, or Steve Scroven or, or these guys that started the I saw Scroven a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, funny, Scroven funny plays guy. baseball on my daughter's baseball team, on my daughter's oh, boyfriend's funny. baseball team, although she's playing next week. But he, yeah, I saw Scroven. Funny guy. He's a nice guy, too. Yeah. Was the first show uh, FM with Robert Hayes? Was that the first? Uh, the first? No, I, I. It was the same producer, Alan Burns. Oh, Alan, great Alan Mary Burns. Tyler yeah, Moore. yeah. 
But I think there was a, that show before. Eisenhower and Lutz. Eisenhower and Lutz. Starring Scott Bakula and Patricia Richardson. So obviously this guy had an eye for talent, you know, because both of them have lengthy, yeah. have lengthy careers. Um, but yeah, Eisenhower and Lutz was the first uh, script. And then Lenny, Lenny Clark show was the uh, uh, first actual staff job. And they had an actor called Peter Dobson that we knew was going to get himself in trouble because he would do things like get haircuts between the first show and the second <laughs> show. <laughs> I mean, severe haircuts. Like a big, and we did a run-through. We were all pissed off at him, and we changed his character's name to Mr. Dickhead. <laughs> he got so pissed off. That's funny. Yeah. Lenny Clark, Mr. another funny guy. Yeah, Lenny is a very funny guy. Very He's funny. a sweetheart. Yes. I, I also remember working on one of your shows, and I guess it was maybe it was a universal production because we were – Right near the theme park. Oh yeah, that would have been the Tom Arnold show. That would. And 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 I started <laughs> nagging you to get me on the rides. Yes. <laughs> at, at Universal, <laughs> and you had like writing to do and rewrite the whole script and everything, <laughs> and then finally, of course, because I kept nagging you, you you took me there, and I remember you going. I don't know when it became the producer's job to get Gilbert on the rides. But... <laughs> and I was I was the executive producer and the showrunner. I'm driving oh, you man. around in a golf cart to put yes. you on roller coasters. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the reason I'm not a bigger deal today. <laughs> Maybe I spent too much time doing that stuff. You don't strike me as a rides guy, Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah. You like a roller coaster, huh? No, no, no roller coaster. Oh, just the kiddie rides. Yeah. Like the <laughs> like why like the like the Mr. Toad's magic. Uh, oh, exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> oh, those kind of things. Yeah. The E. T. ride on the bike oh, on the wire. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. where you gotta shoot at stuff oh, as you Okay. <laughs> a man who grew up in Coney Island who doesn't go on a roller coaster. Doesn't go on a roller coaster. I've been on roller coasters, but I never really enjoyed them. Now, I've been on my last one now. Uh, Daisy, my daughter and I went on a, a kind of quest one time. We went on, I think, seven or ten roller coasters in one day, and then it was like, okay. That's enough of that. Next one is going to be a stroke. <laughs> Speaking of character names, J.J., you were talking about how you changed the name of, the, of Dobson's character. How, how, uh, how did a character named J.J. Wall show up on the Newhart show? Um, I was doing the warm-ups for Newhart, and that was one of the ways they kept me there. Um, I don't remember that they named my any character. I JJ. found doing some really? research. Yep, I'll send it to you. Well, then, it's on IMDb. Okay. <laughs> a character uh, named JJ Wall, and you played you played a security guard yourself. Yes, Tell I us. played Floyd D. Barber. <laughs> and they actually cut out my best line, and it was this is how long ago it was. It was a RoboCop impression. But as I walked off, I walked off like RoboCop, and I got a huge laugh. But they weren't sure if a couple of the regular characters, I mean, I, like I said, I was just the warm-up guy that they threw a bone to. Uh, they weren't sure if a couple of the regular characters were staying, so they had to lengthen their storyline, and I lost my big laugh line. But that was a fun part. They were nice to me. They were very nice. The Newhart show. Newhart yeah. was great, because Bob Newhart would come out and do 10, to, 10 minutes of stand-up before my warm-up started, or maybe, you know, five minutes after I started, and then I would introduce him. So it set them to listen to a stand-up for the whole night. Oh, that helps. That made that whole job much more fun. And a Tom sweetheart Poston of a guy. Was a great guy. Both of Wonderful them. Wonderful guy. Poston, too. Great guy. We've Poston heard... later worked uh, on Grace Under Fire, actually. He That's right. Russell. 
Yeah, he played uh, 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 Dave Thomas's father. And at one point, I was standing watching some rehearsal, and I mean this close. It's five inches behind my head. I hear, you know what the problem with abortions are? We're not having enough of them. <laughs> it was Tom Post. <laughs> he just had that weird, he had a Gilbert-like sense of humor. It was a total. Oh, I love him for that. And, oh, and yeah. I remember uh, you you had me on um, Till Death. Yes. As yes. the next door neighbor who has a really big dick. Hot wife and a big dick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wanted to get it as close to life as possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah where I I go, I'm I'm playing tennis with Brad Garrett, and then where we go into the the locker room. And it's supposed to be that I take my clothes off and he stares between my legs, just horrified. <laughs> Can you call that Brad and get him right. on the podcast for God's sake? Uh, no, no, I never remember those things. It's like I could be having lunch with Al Jolson and I'll go, oh, he would have been good. <laughs> After the lunch, on your way home, I should have asked him about the podcast. What about what? Tell us about Ed McMahon, who was on the Tom Show. Ed McMahon was first of all surprisingly funny. I, I yeah. almost got Johnny Carson on that show. You almost did. We we were trying to hire an assistant for Ed McMahon, who was a morning radio host, and um, it was the first time that Johnny actually considered one of those things because he said it would make kind of sense that he would be hired as Ed's assistant as sidekick. Yeah, this. but. And all he would have had to do was sit in the hallway. We didn't have to do anything. And we, we were really close. Oh, that would have been a great gag. Up. But Ed was a wonderful man. I mean, Christmas, he got in a golf cart, and I think everybody on the lot got a gift. He just went riding around, handing out gifts. And, of course, later went bankrupt. So. <laughs> I guess, oh. I guess you shouldn't hand gifts out to uh, you everybody know, he was on an the un- lot. He was an underrated actor, I think, J.J. He's in the, he's in the one agree. you like, the, uh, the Incident. On the subway oh, with, that's uh, right. with Tony that's... Musante and, uh, and, oh, and wow. Martin Sheen, uh, Brock Peters, yeah. Jack Guilford. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I do remember, remember the movie often. Now I, now I got to re- revisit it. But yeah, Ed was a, was a decent actor. And fun, and fun with Dick and Jane. He was uh, George Siegel's boss. And then I, that natural think, actor? I think he popped that's up right. in one of those black exploitation movies. Where he was a villain, like what, like drinking your juice in the hood? One of those movies, yeah. But, but, <laughs> but around the time of like Shaft and Dolomite, no mm-hmm. those. Oh, back then, yeah. You well, yeah. He did try oh, to take a not stab. A he tried to take a stab at, a re- at being a real actor at one point before before Carson. Yeah, when he still had the dark hair, he was trying to act a little bit. I remember him as a game show host, and I remember him hosting Snap mm-hmm. Snap Judgment. And shows and in the early seventies, late sixties. I think he used to claim also that his parents or his grandparents or some part of his family invented mayonnaise. That it was really it was originally called <laughs> McMayonnaise. Really? <laughs> and I, he told the story seriously. I don't know if it was true or not. What kind did. of guy was he to spend time with? He was delightful. Yeah, he was delightful. We went up to dinner at his house one time. He had a party, and uh, he made a big speech about how much better he was now that he was just drinking red wine. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he was great. It was fun. There's very few of them that I've met so far that, that haven't been, especially successful people. Yeah. And successful people, if they're not happy, I feel like saying, get a fucking grip. You just had to hit the lottery. You know, right, yourself. of course. Now, now I witnessed that one incident with you and Tarm Arnold. So how was it working with Tarm Arnold? 
It was a very, <laughs> I, again, I'll never forget a table reading where he had to get up for a minute and he called his assistant, whose name I think was Vinny. He said, Vinny, I'm going to the can. Bring my cigar. <laughs> I thought, oh my God. Vinny has the worst job in the world. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I think in a weird way, it made the rest of the show easier for me because I was like, well, I don't have to bring a cigar to him in the can. <laughs> But he would conduct meetings. He had one of those vibrating massage chairs. And he would conduct meetings while he was lying in the chair vibrating. <laughs> it was just the strangest thing in the world. You're trying to talk to this guy, and he's literally like... <laughs> Hilarious. Tell us about Larroquette, too, another guy who's a wonderful... Uh, yeah, Larroquette. Terrific I, I, comic actor. I saw not long ago. A wonderful comic actor. Yeah, we love him. Um, he, uh, he was a good guy. He was a little darker because he had his... Uh, you know, he overcame the AA thing. Or sure. Whatever the, whatever the correct terminology for that is. She, my wife, cracked up one time because before we all started working on the show, we had to read the big blue book, the Alcoholics Anonymous book. And I was sitting at my dining room table drinking a gigantic glass of vodka and reading through <laughs> the Alcoholics Anonymous book. But, uh, yeah, he's still married to the same woman. He's one of those guys. He's uh, had three or four kids. And You ever work with him, Gil, John Larroquette? Uh, yes, yes, I, I did like three episodes of Night Court. Oh, that's right. You yeah. did Night uh -huh. Court. That would be, that. Yeah, I think he was funnier in Night Court than he was in the John Larroquette show, more because Night Court was just uh, set up for him to be funnier, you know, whereas the John Larroquette show had to have a little dark stuff. But John Larroquette is where I wrote an, an episode who had a title that I was the proudest of, which was called There's a Mr. Hitler Here to See You. Because <laughs> I thought it pretty much told the whole story of the episode right at that point. And it was Nazis that wanted to rent the bus from <laughs> Yeah, because on the John Larroquette show, it was written in that he was an alcoholic. Wasn't right. It? Yeah, that was the premise. Well, yeah, it was always, yeah, it was, that was built in. Yeah. And I think, I think the original title was Cross, Crossroads or whatever. But uh, yeah, Liz, uh, I'm ashamed to say, Liz Torres was in that show. Liz she Torres, also funny. Yeah. Yeah, very funny. Yeah. And she was very funny in that show and, and also one of the delightful people. Jill Mitchell, who later got in a motorcycle accident and now is in a wheelchair, but is in, what is it, NCIS, Louisiana? It's, oh, it's yeah. whatever, the New Orleans, yeah. CSI New Orleans. What was the Army show? That was my own creation yeah. that tanked in about 12 episodes. <laughs> it was a little, do I have this right? It was a little Bilko-ish? It was a little bit of That's a... what I wanted it, I wanted it to be, because that's really the only kind of show you can do about the services when there's no wars going on. You know, right. You can't really do a any kind of significant show about it. And, um, and I had a wonderful cast of characters. Um, Dave Higgins was in it. Brian Posehn was in oh, it. Oh, bro. Was wonder, very funny guys. Funny people. Yeah. Um, but then I had to hire another guy who was more handsome because they wanted the network wanted that kind of thing. And then it's just a tough premise to keep going. I thought it was funny, but we got slammed by critics. <laughs> All right, so we're going to stop here. The stories are too good, and we've got a lot more to go with J.J. We don't want to let him go, so we're going to pick it up next week where we left off. Part two with Gilbert's old pal, J.J. Wall. <laughs>